Welcome, and thank you for listening today. This Caregiver Life podcast focuses on caregivers from all walks of life. Throughout the episode, we will hear from caregivers on the front line, those who do the day-to-day, sometimes hour-to-hour caregiving. We will also hear from care recipients, professionals in the field of caregiving, and other various topics of interest to those living this caregiver life. Hi, Jen. Hi, Mayor. How are you? I'm doing good. It's been a while. It has been. When's the last time we podcasted? I believe it was in late September. That's a long time ago. So what happened in the intervening time for you? Well, we were planning to podcast right up through pretty much the holidays. Um, and we had already taught, told the audience that I was expecting, so that was kind of exciting news. Uh, but we stopped podcasting because I had my baby super early. But what did you have? I had a little boy. Mm-hmm. His name is Will. Mm-hmm. And he, so you, so you became a mom and a caregiver a little bit because he was born younger. He was. He's a moderately premature. He was born eight weeks early and he was in the neonatal intensive care unit or NICU, as you'll hear people refer to it for 65 days. Well, that was brutal. We texted about every single morning for those 65 days. I'm so appreciative for your support. Um, So many people sent us DoorDash and Uber Eats or just told us they were praying for Will, which, you know, in, in the beginning, I thought he would die. And that was really hard. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even hesitate when people asked me if they could help. I said, yes, because I've kind of learned my caregiving lesson when it comes to that. Um, So I gave real specific answers. One of them was, uh, you can, one of the needs that we had were baby swaddles premature baby swaddles and I didn't have time to look for them or you know I was so exhausted my phone wasn't even charged up half the time and you can't use your phone in the NICU and I was there 12 plus hours a day so that's the thing I asked for and I asked for food and people were just people I don't even know it was so amazing so amazing when you are a caregiver and you are able to ask and accept help the kinds of help that you will get Mm-hmm. And you can articulate the kind of help that you need. I, sometimes that's so hard as a caregiver. Don't even know what you need to have. Yeah. And sometimes what you have, what you do is you have to ask the professionals, like, what do you think I need? Um, yeah. And we were very blessed to have a social worker that covered the NICU. And she was super helpful and really specific with us about the things that we should be asking people for. And And some of the things that we asked people for was space. I mean, we had to ask some family members to not talk about certain things or to not call us at certain times. And um, those are sometimes hard conversations to have, but you know what? You feel good on the other side of it. I think when you think about having to say some of those things, it's more difficult than, than saying it, than actually saying it. Like you get a lot of anxiety about saying it. And I, I know when Tom was diagnosed with ALS, and we had so many people who had their own grief, you know, for, for whatever their relationship was with him, who would share that with me. And I, again, talked to a social worker like you did, 
at one of our clinic meetings and she said, you can let them know that it's okay for them to find somebody else to share the grief with, that you have your own right now and you understand they have theirs, but that you cannot hold their grief. And it was hard to think to say that to somebody, but I did, and I don't think I did it well at first, but you know, because it's a weird thing to say, like, ah, uh, listen, I don't really want to hear how sad you are right now, but it's really important because you really cannot hold all of that. You, you do need that space that you're in and, and you'll pick and choose who you can bring into that space and for how long you need them. And those people either stay in your life or they choose not to. Yep. And when you get through the tough times, it, I think it's equally important to let those people know that, okay, things are settling down for me. I want you to know it's okay to text me. I don't want you to know it's okay to call these, you know, the hours that I gave you before we're settled down. I think it's good to revisit that and, and to acknowledge that, that people did the things that you asked, or at least they tried to, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, so I'm happy to be back podcasting. It's been so long. It's nice to be able to reconnect with you. It's one of the few times we can really set aside and see each other and talk to each other instead of just texting each other all the time. And we have our good friend, Sharon, as a guest today. And Sharon is, Sharon is here, so we're going to talk about caregivers uh, and employment, finding jobs, holding on to jobs, interviewing for jobs. We're going to touch on hopefully all of those topics. I don't know if we'll get to all of them today, but it's a really important topic for us because employment is, is really important to all of us. I'm, I'm retired now, but I'm still very interested in this as a topic because it's I'm so glad that I'm retired because I worked and I was able to, but it was not easy to put all that together so that I now had a retirement coming in. So I'm very well aware, I'm acutely aware of what all of that means and how it feels for me today, that little bit of independence that I have in terms of being retired. And so we have Sharon Brassi. Is that, did I say your last name right? It is, that's correct. Okay, so we have Sharon here and Sharon cares for our son. Would you tell us a little bit about how you became a caregiver? Um, well, like many of us, I became a caregiver um, when I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't realize I was a caregiver to begin with. I was just a mom doing what moms do, caring for your son. Um, you know, kind of like Jen, you just, that's what you do. You care for your child. Um, and my son was uh, a U.S. Army combat medic uh, and had multiple deployments. And we were blessed to have him survive many incidents. Um, we noticed things were changing for him, but, um, you know, he was surviving. He wasn't bleeding. There were no missing body parts. Um, but by the time he was coming out of the military, there were quite a few things that we realized he, he was not capable of doing. Um, things were failing. He wasn't able to communicate and coordinate um, that transition from military to the veteran life. Um, and I quit my job just to help him um, as I became a caregiver, thinking, uh, realizing that, you know, I'll help him for a little bit um, and then he'll be fine. And uh, basically, I just continued caregiving, connected with other caregivers within the Dole Foundation. And somebody said, hey, you're a caregiver. And um, that's, that's kind of how I realized it. Uh, brother was uh, wounded 
in combat. And then, you know, I was just a sister trying to make sure he got good care, trying to help out. And, and then somebody handed me a clipboard at the, in the uh, waiting room of a neurologist's office uh, on a military base. He was, he was still on active yeah. duty. And I remember I was like, oh, I have to do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, we actually um, were told that he needed a family member to come to Walter Reed with him for a, a month of um, evaluations. And I thought, well, okay, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And it was a really good indoctrination of, of what I could do, but I still didn't recognize it as anything other than being a mother. So it, it does, it, it really goes against the grain. I, I think all of us have a visual of what a caregiver is um, and it didn't fit my visual uh, of what I thought a caregiver was. I think that's a that's a that's a really good point. I I had a vision of caregivers um, when I first became Tom's caregiver, which I didn't realize I was a caregiver. But I and it was in the it was in the nineties, and I was in my thirties. We had younger kids, and he had a brain infection, and and he needed a lot of he needed that kind of care that we talk about our invisible, well, our invisible disabilities. Let's put it that way. Um, so he has that cognitive disability. And I worked in a hospital where I facilitated support groups for people with Alzheimer's and family members. And I, I never once thought to myself, I am them as a caregiver because I was, I don't know, like 38 years old. Just like, well, they're like 60 years old. So I'm 62 now, but you know, I could never see myself as being a caregiver. It didn't occur to me until many, many years later, until I got involved with the um, veteran community because of his ALS diagnosis, service connected, right? And then somebody said, you know, are you in this caregiver group or did you do this caregiver thing? And I was like, well, I don't know. I'm not really a caregiver. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think I was in denial. I just think I was sort of ignorant about it. It's just, it didn't, just didn't occur to me. I didn't think, I thought caregiving was far more profound than what I was doing, what, doing with Tom. Like I, I was doing it because I'm married to him. And that's what I do. Like, you know, you take care of your son because that's what you do. You're his mom. Jennifer takes care of her brother because he needed her to take care of him. He's, he's her family. He's her brother. And so you don't, I don't put it in that category of caregiving, but it most certainly is caregiving. And I think this is a good segue into talking about being employed because you, you sort of um, insidiously became a caregiver where you began to, it began to take over more of your life because of his needs. And, and what were you doing at that time for employment? Where were you working? What were you doing? And how did your business handle that? Um, it was interesting. Uh, the, I was working at, uh, can I say that name? <laughs> I was working at a major banking uh, industry, Chase. Uh, and it was at the time that I had to go back to um, Walter Reed to help him. And they were wonderful about it. They said, absolutely, you do what you need to do. I was a technical writer for them, uh, working on projects, um, quite a few projects. And um, they were really good about it. But as I realized how much I needed to do for him, I didn't have the capacity to understand how to compartmentalize that. Um, I'm the one that left 
because I didn't know how to do it. I didn't, uh, I knew at that time, and I was, I was in my fifties, so I was, I was not young. Um, and I knew that I just wasn't capable of juggling at all. I had juggled parenthood and working, and that was really difficult. I, I, you know, you're a caregiver and we don't name that. We don't talk about that as it being um, a caregiving situation where you need some kind of kind of accommodations to help raise your children if you're working. Um, and and uh, I just thought, no, I, I have to leave. I have to put, take care of this little box over here, which is me helping my son. We'll get that taken care of and I'll go back to work. And that didn't really happen. That, um, that turned into about two, two and a half years to three years of me kind of trying to dabble into going back to work, but not really knowing how to ask for accommodations um, again and, um, and work not fitting. We spoke with uh, we we spoken to some companies that do caregiving benefits for employers, or they counsel employers about just this thing. Um, and I I remember thinking, well, what a novel idea! When we spoke to the folks at Wealthy, for example, what a novel idea to offer employers a benefit package that accompanies their health care, their dental care benefits. Um, that provides some support for caregivers. And it's not something that's yet offered by my employer, although I have used EAP now that I know that you can use it. I've used EAP to help me find like, home health aides, to help me find um, behavioral health counselor, just you know, different things that take time to research, right? And I, I tapped into that. And I think a lot of people don't know they can tap into that. Um, there are, there's, there's no data, right, about how many people are leaving the workforce because they are torn from their caregiving responsibilities. And like you, you know, you said you wanted to stay, but you just couldn't make it all work. And you didn't know how to ask for the accommodations or even, well, what accommodation should I ask for? If more data were collected, if we surveyed our employees, I mean, we know, I think, um, Harvard Business Review did a, um, an article and they surveyed uh, Professor Joseph uh, Fuller with Harvard Business Review, surveyed a bunch of people. And, and he found out that 73% of people who are unemployed have some kind of caregiving responsibility. So they have little kids in daycare or they have, they take care of their aging mother or they're like you and they take care of their son. But what data do we have to go along with that? And if we collected that, then we would know what do you need? Do you need, do you need a four day work week? Would that do it? Well, do you need a, a counselor like I use to help you find the auxiliary support that comes into your home? I think it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting point. I don't know who is trying to collect data, if anyone. You know, I think um, when we talk about industry and I, and I have kind of worked a little bit with the Elizabeth Dole Foundation on some of the caregiver and the workforce initiatives. And, and I think we all realize that we don't have that data. We don't really know how to tell an employer because obviously every employer is gonna have a different situation. Every, um, every employee 
has a different situation. So how do you create this um, one size fits all? And I think it becomes, it, it isn't a one size fits all. When we look at how we bring veterans into the workforce, we talk about the accommodations that the veterans need. We talk about those things that they might need and we create veteran groups in a lot of companies to support that veteran, to lead that veteran. Um, and I think that same thing might be helpful in this situation. If I had had someone at Chase that reached out to me and said, oh, hey, I'm a caregiver. This looks like a caregiving situation. And I wanna help you understand how we can make this work. They were begging me to stay. And I was the one saying, no, 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 I can't. When I went back to work in 2018, I thought I knew what I needed. And I thought I knew how to talk to an employer. And that employer was Boeing. They had a position that was on call. And I thought, well, I can do that. But I think they also have the, the misconception of what does it mean to hire a caregiver? And that kind of conversation needs to be opened up at the higher level and the management level. We, we need to be clear on what is a caregiver. I'm not, uh, you know, I, again, I'm, I'm not someone that's paid caregiver that I'm hiring out and I'm a CNA and I, this is my lifelong goal, but hey, I just decided to be a technical writer on the side. No, I'm a technical writer who got shoved into this because of what happened to my child. And I'm trying to reclaim that piece of myself that I miss. I chose that profession. I love that profession. And I want to go back to that profession. But um, we're just so often on different pages of what that means. And we need to all come together and talk about that. There are so many options, especially we've learned after COVID. Uh, how many options there are to be flexible in the workforce that I think the opportunities are there. Um, we just haven't had that conversation. Well, and I think, I think that's true. I think COVID has shown us that we can, we, an awful lot of us can work at home. Many of our jobs can be done from our home base here. Um, and as we move back into coming back into the offices that we could have hybrid experiences with work a little bit in the office, a little bit out of the office and, you know, um, sort of setting the job up so that we can work from home. There's almost nobody better to get a job done than a caregiver because we usually have very long lists. We check them off, we get it done. And sometimes it could be, we get through everything that we need to get done and we have to do it well because we are caring for somebody else. In fact, we often take much better care of them than we take of our take care of ourselves. So we're, all, we're, always, we're always on alert to be doing the best job that we can. And sometimes I know for me, I'll just speak for me, like sometimes that list is the greatest motivator to carve out a half an hour of reading for me on the porch. And so I will get all of my tasks done. And some of the things that Jennifer and I talked about a few years ago, when, she, when Jennifer was working more at home and then on the road speaking, you know, how did I, how did I juggle all that? Because I was a virtual teacher long before COVID was a thing. And how did I keep all that? And so we talked about my organization and I, how I kept my 
you know, my lists and then crossed them off and then built them onto the next day of what I didn't get through and how to be able to build time for yourself. Cause that is a challenge when you're working from home is also, you know, making that time for yourself, but there's a lot of productivity with, um, with caregivers. And I think we just have, we have to change the conversation. We have to change the language, just like we did with veterans. We talked about, we talk about, you know, the MOS, you know, well, what is an infantry person good for? But they learn how to use all the weapons. They learn how to find the enemy. That's what they do. How does that transition? Well, we've gotten really good at that in this country. And I think we have to do the same with caregiving. We, we as caregivers have to bring this to the employers as wide as we can. Maybe some training modules like, like Jennifer juggles. Now you're juggling even more than when we first met. You're juggling in infant's care, and he needs he has multiple levels of care that are going on that are complex. And then you have your brother who also has complex needs. And, and then you have the other stuff that, you know, a lot of people deal with. You have your son and your granddaughter, and those are all wonderful things, but there's also a little bit of juggling that goes on with that. And how do we do all that and do it well and have that peace for ourselves? Because I think one of the important things, the important takeaway of what you said was how you love that. And how that's a piece of yourself, which was a driving force for me for years. It was a place where I could go and be myself. My successes and my failures were my very own. And, and, and I got a paycheck to show that I was still in the game and I could still do it. And I was standing on my own two feet. It was very important to me. And I think that that's really important for our caregivers. So I think we have to change the conversation and we have to change the language. We have to teach them what it means when Jennifer says, when we say Jennifer is has a lot of organizing to do with a with a new baby who has a lot of healthcare professionals in his life at this point, we know how complex that is. But does everybody know how complex that is? Do you know how complex ALS care is? Not everybody knows traumatic brain injury. Those are complex th things, and we need to make that like, oh, they do this, and that equals this in the workplace. You know, Mayor, I felt the same way as Sharon. I, I I loved my job. I loved working. And it was a big part of my identity that I lost um, when I became a caregiver for my brother. And I could only just hold on to tiny, tiny little strings of it. And it wasn't, you know, by working part-time and different things, little gig work. And that's not for me. It wasn't for me at that point in my life. It may be further down the future, but I, I did, I certainly didn't want that to be my career path. But when I got help to get back in the workforce from Wounded Warrior Project, that I used one of their services, Warriors to Work, to help me. Um, I didn't realize that caregiving could be on my resume. You know, I just saw my resume as having this good, big gap. But once I changed the conversation in my own head to, hey, caregivers are an asset, not a liability, then I realized I have the things to offer the employers that, that other candidates don't have. And I might have to take off on a random Wednesday, like I did this week, because my, my brother's home health care support went down the toilet and I had to have an all-hands-on meeting and get some things fixed. And that's okay. That's why we have PTO. And it's why we need employers to understand that sometimes a caregiver is gonna to have to take a whole day off and fix something. And other times I'm gonna work the whole day and fix the things at, at home on my break, on my lunch, after work. And that's okay, I'm gonna be organized enough to do it. And I wanna say one more thing. 
do you remember in 2017, I think it was, we were in DC for an event and you actually took my phone and showed me, might've been 2016, you took my phone and showed me how to organize this, um, these phone numbers so that I could into groups so that I could more easily communicate. I was responsible for communicating with like 120 people. And so you, you actually physically took my phone and went, ah, no, I know how to do this. And you showed me how to do it. And it was just like, you hadn't done that. You know, you just clicked your fingers and did it. And it's those kind of um, learnings that we get when we're an affinity group. And I think Sharon had said that we need our employers to offer us caregiver affinity, either a caregiver mentor in the office or a, an entire group that we can meet with somebody that says, oh, hey, did you know that you can schedule, you know, this conference room to make private phone calls to your loved one's medical provider? Like, it's just little things like that that'll make a huge difference in your workday. And I think that goes to where we are broadening our conversation to the broader group of caregivers. Um, we talk about, well, there might not be another military caregiver in this company that we know of, but there are parent caregivers. There are people that are caring for their elderly parents. They're caring for a special needs child. So when we talk caregiving, we're all juggling those same issues. And almost every company, almost every person at some point in their life will be a caregiver, as we've said. So all of those details come in and, and we can lend our, our you know, common knowledge in how do we get through that. Um, I think one of the other things <clears throat> that I think is really important about growing in this um, caregiving in the workforce discussion is also letting people know, um, employers know that it's okay to create accommodations for a caregiver. I, I've worked in, uh, I think it was when I was at Boeing and managers felt guilty about giving me accommodations and not letting others do the same. And I said, but I'm caring for a veteran who is disabled and this is what I'm doing. I think we can create those conversations where no one is gonna feel bad. No one is gonna say, well, she gets to work from home this day. Why can't I? We can talk about that. And that goes with putting that on your resume too. Saying, I am a caregiver. I'm willing to talk about this. I'm willing to have an open conversation about my needs. That has to happen. But we also have to let that manager know we can have that open conversation all the way up the chain, up to HR. Let's create some policies and let's make this happen and, and have it in a transparent fashion so that nobody looks at me. I, I hated it when someone would look at me and go, well, why do you get to work from home today? <laughs> well, I'm doing two jobs today. Um, so it, it, it needs to be an open conversation. Well, I think we can have that as a call to action. I would love to hear from businesses and organizations and HR professionals to know, to find out how we can have this, this a transparent conversation about what it is for us on the caregiving side and our, our need and our desire to have a space in the workforce that's valuable, that's important to us, that we are 
you know, not shut out from doing the things that we are good at. And, and yes, it doesn't mean that we're, you know, we expect a dream job because like in real life without being a caregiver, you don't get that either. So we're not looking for that. We're looking for the room to be able to be part of the workforce in a meaningful way. If that's, if, if that's what we're seeking, but why I would love to have the other side, you know, HR professionals to tell us, to share with us, what can we tell you that would help you listen to what, what our needs are you, and you recently had an experience in the workforce, which is what triggered this conversation more. And I asked you if you would like to come on the podcast, because I know you, and I know you were excited about, yes, I got a new job and I'm very excited about this. And then just like that, you didn't. And that was hard because you thought that they understood on your side what it meant. So how can we change what we need to say? And how can employers get on board with us and tell us what they need to hear from us? There's going to be many, many more of us because of COVID and not just in the military veteran space, but across the spectrum, there's many, many more. There's this COVID that's lingering and there's many disabilities with it. And people are going to struggle with this. And how can we make this an important change in the caregiver lane? Right. Um, yeah, it, it was a very painful situation. I thought I had all my ducks in a row. I thought I was prepared to go back into industry. And I've been very, very um, specific about staying in my industry. One of the things I, I hate to see is caregivers who are so well-trained. I mean, we have, we rub elbows with people that have dual PhDs, you know, some of these caregivers, it's crazy the amount of knowledge. Um, and so I went back into my industry, finally got a job uh, as a technical writer for Wells Fargo. And uh, I'm very, very specific about my needs. I need a flex job and I was unwilling to go back into the office more than two days a week. And I was very clear um, with my employer as I was you know, coming back in um, to say my work-life balance gets really out of whack if I have to do a full-time job and and care give. My son's needs have gotten a little bit more than they were earlier, um, but nothing that I can't do from home. I need to just manage those things at home. And it took a little while, but this employer said, absolutely, you know what, we really want you. You have the skill sets. We're, we're really excited to have you. And what was really interesting is the first two weeks that I was there, there were many training modules about how to work with veterans and how to work with the disabled and how to make sure that we, you know, made them feel like they were accepted and we understood their situation. Um, and within the first week, I had an issue where I had um, a possible, not, not a oops, I screwed up, but I realized on my schedule, I might have to take my son to this appointment because it was early in the morning. And my son doesn't do well early in the morning. Sometimes he does, but quite often he doesn't. And um, so I said, when I, when I wake him up, I'll know if I have to take him to this appointment. And um, I, within 10 minutes, I had, a, uh, I had the manager who had given me these accommodations and agreed to these accommodations. 
uh, want to meet with me about employment expectations. And those ex employment expectations turned into, well, uh, it sounds like you have a second job. And I, I almost had to laugh. I, I said, I do have a second job. We've discussed this. It is, I'm a caregiver. I'm a caregiver for my disabled veteran son. And I can adjust my hours, but you know, I, I need accommodations occasionally. And the manager said, you know, um, it doesn't sound like your priorities are really focused on Wells Fargo. And I said, well, you know, they're, they're not completely focused on Wells Fargo. My, my first priority is my son and I can't change that. And I said, well, we're, we're not sure that this is gonna work. And I said, you know, would you like, they wanted me to think about it and leave. And I said, no, no, I, I think you need to think about that. Um, and tell me if you're still willing to give me the accommodations. And within an hour, I was let go because I was unwilling to modify what I have to do for my son. I can't. Um, and, and I think as caregivers, um, we are making the right choice. We are doing what we need to do. And I think we need to encourage that in others. There are veterans that need us and we need to make sure that we support them and not make this a negative impact in so many areas of their lives. And this is an easy fix. We've shown that by COVID, it's an easy fix. I'm a technical writer. I don't deal with people. I don't deal with the public. I write, I, I can write from anywhere. Um, so it, it's one of those things where it was a manager who probably didn't understand the situation didn't really grasp what a caregiver was. And um, I, don't, I don't think she intentionally did anything wrong. It's just, we're not all on the same page. We're not, we're not, um, we're not understanding what it is to be a caregiver and what those needs are. And as we all talked, you know, how easy it is for some of us as caregivers to multitask, to do many things, and to be so grateful to actually have a job again, to have that piece of ourselves. So they well, lost out. They, their <laughs> loss, and, and honestly, um, it can be stated that we will make accommodations and that's sort of a case-by-case -case basis, and we're so excited to offer this to you. But the supportive infrastructure company-wide doesn't exist. Right. It doesn't exist industry-wide. It doesn't exist nationwide. And we we know that employers are losing something like $35 billion a year in turnover. Well, how much are they losing because they turn over caregivers that they could have right. retained if only, if only they would said, you know what, on Monday, just come in at noon or instead, or don't come in at all. Just take care of your son's appointment and then work from home. It's it's hard to hear that story because it happens over and over and over again. And I know we're going to have caregivers listen to this podcast that say that happened to me. And either they didn't yes. let go, you know, maybe they didn't get let go, but maybe they end, ended up leaving on their own because they, they couldn't deal with that. They couldn't do that. That's rejection. It's rejecting you right. as a caregiver. It's rejecting the sacrifice that your son made for our country. Um, it's, right. it's, it cuts so much deeper than I think people realize. Well, and what if, 
what if I had said, you know, this job is so important to me that I'll reduce what I do for my son. That's just that for someone to ask that just really hurts me to think, yes, how many other caregivers have been asked to do that or asked to reduce the type of work that they're capable of doing because an employer really isn't sure, you know, that they'll be able to do it. Just give us a chance. Oh my gosh, some of us are beyond capable. As I said, the degrees that I rub elbows with in this caregiver life are crazy. I am on the low end of the degree um, uh, spectrum when it comes to how many caregivers that we have that are not working or not living up to their full potential because this is such an issue. I'm, I'm kind of in that boat right now, Sharon. I, you know, I right? kind of have a, I kind of got handcuffed and not by my own doing. I busted my tail for years, almost 20 years to figure out how to be employed, gainfully employed, how to make it work, how to make it look good, how to make sure my brother is cared for. I know how to make sure my son is cared for. But what I need is I need a little time. The health, the home health industry is becoming thinner and more stretched and you have to give them, you know, I used to be able to get people with two weeks notice. Then I needed three weeks notice. Now I need a month and I need my employer to know that they can schedule me a month out for any time that they want, a month out. So what's happening is not getting scheduled. And it's a real shame because um, developmentally, if we aren't, if, if employers don't utilize all of our skills and don't allow us to use those, those infrastructure that we built for ourselves, then, then as employees, as professionals, we aren't able to give all that we're capable of. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think we have such capabilities that are, are not being utilized when we're in industry, unless we have this, you know, fantastic, wonderful employer that gets it all. But that's so far and few between. Um, and our, our ability to grow as people um, and as employees should not be limited by the fact that we love and have family members that are veterans that we need to take care of or elderly or any of these things. Um, you know, we're in this big growth of, um, of um, equality within our country and, you know, we want everybody to succeed, but we need to say, hey, sometimes there's a little bit of a an adjustment that we need to make to make sure that some of us can. Oh yeah, I, I agree. We need to make the adjustments and I don't think it's gonna happen overnight, but I think we have to continue to have the conversation. I know on our podcast, we're more than willing to have guests who are, who will, on, who are HR professionals. We're happy to have that conversation with them from big businesses, small businesses, from, 
you know, people like HR to, a, to, you know, CEOs, if they want to come on and have that conversation with us, like how can we change this conversation so that we can be a meaningful part of the workforce? When years ago, when I, two years after Tom was diagnosed with ALS, so that's a long time ago now, that was in 2010, I plan on, te on teaching online. I mean, I didn't have the job yet. I had to work it. I had to work this whole system of uh, doing all the things that I needed to do and all this training for free. I had to do free training online for a year in order to be a virtual teacher. It was crazy. I was, and I was still working during the day and his needs were not terribly great, but they were still there. And I jumped through all the hoops and then somebody, they weren't, they weren't gonna give me a teaching job because they knew I was a caregiver. And I said, no, wait, wait a minute. That has nothing to do with anything like, you're not even giving me benefits. I'm working on by contract here. I don't even have, I'm not even, I'm going to lose my retirement on this, but this is enough to keep my teaching license alive, to keep me alive, right? Because sometimes like long ago when he was sick in the nineties and I went back to school and then I got a job, I was going to school, you know, doing my schoolwork and all that kind of stuff. And that was sometimes the only way I took a breath. It was the only time I felt like I was living inside my own head for myself that I was doing something that was moving me forward one step at a time. And I could, I could every day, I could put an X on there on my calendar and say, you did some good stuff for yourself today. You're gonna to be able to support yourself someday. This is gonna be meaningful to you. And sometimes it was the best thing that I could do for myself. I literally couldn't wait to say to the kids, I have to go write a paper, bye. <laughs> well, <laughs> it, it, I had to write a paper. It can be respite. It can be self-care. Mm -hmm. However you want to define that. For, you know, people have said to me all along, oh, I can't believe you know how much you do. And it's like, if I don't do that, the part of me I love about me will be gone. Yes. I know that because mean? when I, yes, when I, I know that because when I didn't do it, I was, I was lost. And it's, I don't, what we don't need is for people to don't give her that assignment. You know, she has all this stuff going on. Let's look Absolutely. at this other candidate for the promotion because, you know, Jennifer's got all this and stop doing that. Right. I 100% agree. Yeah, we have to stop that conversation because we want to be able to do all of these things and we want to realize ourselves. And I mean, if you're a caregiver and if that's not your thing, like we totally get that too. But we're talking about caregivers who not only need to be financially, economically back in the workplace, but they need to it for their own selves, for their own self-growth. It's so important for us. I mean, and listen, I'm even home now and like I'm making my whole backyard this lavender thing, right? And it's like, I can never stop having something that is like a, a personal growth for myself. And it, it's what keeps me going it, to be really involved in different things like this because I've tried the other things and they, they don't work at this point in our life from where he is with the disease. And I think that that's a smart thing for people to realize. There are times when you do have to step out of the workforce. And for mm -hmm. me, I'm not going to be able to go back to it. Like I'm not going to be 65 years old and go back in the classroom. That is not happening. Like you might as well dig my grave. I just, there's no way you could do it. It's a whole different generation of kids that are in there and, and post COVID it's just not going to work. What else would I do? I don't know. I'm getting to you. I'm getting to where I'm used to this, but I think that you have to know that about yourself. And so I'm not looking for a job anymore. I'm growing where I am, where I'm planted right here. That's what's happening. But it's taken a while to get there. But if I was 10 years younger, that would not be true at all. 
I would be very concerned about how I'm going to retire and what am I going to do if Tom dies in like two years from now and I'm, I'm 54 years old, like how am I going to survive that and what am I going to do for myself? How will I be engaged in this world? It's such a beautiful world to be part of and there's so many different layers and reasons why. Of course, you know, when we talk about, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, first thing is our economics, you know, we've got to have a roof over our heads. But then we also want to engage and be part of it. And sometimes we do have to take a step back, but it doesn't mean we don't want to take another step back in, you know, and be part of it. So that's the conversation we need to have. I think caregivers are good at this conversation, but employers are not. And we want them to be part of the conversation. We invite you to come on this podcast and come and talk to us. We'll, we'll even hold a brainstorming session with them. I mean, we'll, we'll do anything to give our caregivers a leg up so they can show people how good they can be in the workforce. I want to start right. speaking to HR professionals and to um, corporate decision makers, to the C-suite and tell them about caregiving and, and be really frank with them about what needs to change about the way that they're addressing um, caregivers of all kinds. And so there's another call to action, you know, I'm free. So might as well, might as well book me. <laughs> I think that's, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just saying, Jen, I, I know Jen's been busy there writing notes. So you're going to write the notes for this episode, right? <laughs> I know her, I know her behavior. So I see her writing notes and she absolutely loves writing notes for the show. So You'll, you'll include these call to actions in there and certainly promote yourself as a speaker in our show notes so that people can have you come and speak to them. That's a very real part of what you're doing. Your job is so interesting because you speak about your experience with your brother being a caregiver and you're working because you're speaking about your brother and caring for your brother. It's a total win-win and there's not enough of that out there and we need, we need more of it. And who is more proud of us when we do accomplish our, our professional goals than our care recipient? And Sharon can, yeah. you know, I know Tom would back you up on that. And um, my, you no, know, my brother is just glows when he talks about my accomplishments. It's an accomplishment for the both of us. It's funny when I was let go from this last position, the first thing out of my son's mouth was, oh, they don't know my mother. So <laughs> you're strong, mom, take this on. And I think that is what all of us have gotten to the point where we've, we've done the things that we need to do. We've been the educated professionals that we need to be. And now it's time for us to educate those corporations. I think we do need to go in and be the ones to tell them. I, I don't think we can be waiting for someone else to do it anymore. Jen, I'm totally happy to send you in. We need to, let's, let's push you into every corporate uh, boardroom and, and help others understand that they can hire caregivers. I think to one of the points that you guys were talking about is, um, you know, recreating this life um, at an older age was my goal. I went back to college at 51 to retrain and make sure I had those degrees. So we do want this. We do, it is a career choice for us that that is, you know, not everybody, not everybody wants to do that, but some of us really do. And it's, it's really important that we make that possible. Um, and that we survive. I am 60. I do want to retire. And I have been pushed into this 
um, alter reality that um, is not what I wanted. Well, Sharon, I, what's your what's your final word? What would you like to tell people, not our caregivers, because we already we already know how many of them would like to be valued in the workplace and and be given space to to do to take care of their loved one. What is your what is your final statement or question or whatever to employers out there? Let's see. I think I like to speak to the HR professionals in corporations and say that you know quite often we give accommodations to someone, hey, I'm gonna to go to a dental appointment. I'm gonna to go to a medical appointment. It's my medical appointment, it's my dental appointment. I think sometimes um, as we talk about how do we create this HR policy, extend what our veteran is doing to us. It's, it's not my appointment, it's my son's appointment, but I am the one that needs to be there to speak for him. So create that accommodation that allows us to take on um, the, the other individual and give us those accommodations that you would give if he was working there. Because most of us um, that are caregivers are caring for someone that would never be in an employment situation. They're not gonna work. They, I, you can't give that accommodation to my son. He's not gonna be employed, but you could give it to me because that changes the dynamic of this family and every caregiver family, even, even the children within a caregiver family. You know, you get this kid that is maybe starting a McDonald's, but he needs to run home to go help mom because dad just fell on the floor or dad, you know, mom is doing something else. So it becomes that whole, whole family dynamic. Let's look at that and say, you know what? I am a child of a caregiver or a child of a veteran or a child of a disabled. Um, I'm a parent, I'm a sibling. They, we need to go work at this as a, as a family and, and give those accommodations to make sure that we capture and take care of the veteran. Keep that veteran or keep that disabled person in mind. They are the ones that we're taking care of. I, you know, me, if I didn't have to deal with this, I, you don't have to worry about me, I can handle myself but let's keep the focus on that disabled person that we're caring for. Let's make sure that we're caring for them, putting them first. All right, Jen, what's your wrap up here? Listen, uh, supporting caregivers is, is, uh, is not gonna, it's not gonna harm your business. You can grow your business and you can grow your infrastructure to support the caregivers. Uh, I promise you that you're gonna get back more than you give. It's an investment. It's not just an investment in your people, but it's an investment in your culture. And when you uh, cultivate an environment where people who care work there, I mean, it's in the word care is in the word caregivers. Um, you, you have a more empathetic environment. You have an environment that learns how to get things done efficiently in an organized manner. And you have folks who are able to advocate in the business, out in the industry, with your vendors. The benefits actually go on and on. So uh, my final word is, have me come and speak to you about this. <laughs> That's me, my final me, word too. That's it. Me again. Yeah, absolutely. We and I want to thank, thanks Sharon for being so vulnerable. It's hard to talk about the negative parts. It's, you know, it's easy to stand up on stage and say, and I didn't work for a decade and now I work and here's how it, here's how it make it happen. It's hard to say, man, I got let go 
because they couldn't handle my caregiving. Some heavy stuff. Right. Huge. It's yeah. huge. And we've already done, you know, the thing too about caregivers. So this will be my final word on the topic for today is that we've, we have already experienced some really hard things in our lives and we've survived and we've thrived. Like, that's what I like to say. You know, I ran from surviving to thriving and I couldn't be happier about that. It was so confidence building for me when I was able to take a little look back and say, man, you did it. You've got your college degrees and graduate degrees and under really tough conditions. And then, you know what? You still heard some really hard news and you're still here and you're still working and you've given more to the workplace than you ever thought possible. I think we've already handled so many big things in our lives that we're just such a plus to any organization because we can open ourselves to being there for other people who are going to experience that too. It's the rare person who's not going to have somebody to care for or be cared for. So take us Absolutely. on. Absolutely. Knock on our door. Maybe we'll take your jobs if you offer them to us. Rosalind Carter said, we're all going to need a caregiver or be a caregiver. And I think that's uh, that says it all right there. That's right. Well, thank you so much, Sharon, for, for being on our podcast. And as I echo with Jen, you know, anytime we share something vulnerable, it's not, it's not, it's not easy, um, but sometimes it's so important. This is the right audience to be vulnerable to with this, especially with this conversation. Now you're going to make right. an impact on so many. So I just can't thank you enough. All well, right. I, I was very impressed that you guys asked me to come on. I know I said to Mary, oh, Mary, there's so much drama in this. And she said, okay. <laughs> so I think I'm really grateful that that is part of the conversations that we need to have. And we do need to look at the drama and look at the negative and say, uh, you know, how do we change this? Well, and you're welcome to come cool. back anytime on. If you have updates that you want to share with us, we're, we're happy to share them as well. All right. Well, I will, I will be happy to, there are some things in the works in this situation and uh, we'll find out more what, you know, what the outcome is. Yep. I'll leave it at that as a mystery. I love it. I, okay. I love cliffhangers. Yeah. yeah, me too. Well, all right. Well, till the next time. Till next time, Mayor.